You are listening to Particular Pilgrims, stories from Reformed Baptist history with commentary. I'm your host, Ron Miller, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church of Clarksville, Tennessee, and a longtime student and collector of Particular Baptist history. We're on the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. We continue with the Particular Baptist Church at Weston by Whedon, by examining their early document they referred to as their articles. We would consider these something like a church constitution. Joseph Lee, pastor of the church and author of its history, introduces these articles in this way. The articles are in the very neat handwriting of John Stanley. They are without date, and from the substance of them and their introductory words, we presume they were not drawn up until after the church had been in existence some years, and the pastor and people felt themselves passing away. They are as follows. We, the officers and members of the baptized Church of God, meeting in and around Slapton, in the county of Northampton, taking into our serious care and consideration the estate of this church and the uncertainty of our lives, and desiring after the future peace and unity and concord, do unanimously declare our resolutions as following. And what does follow is 11 short articles in the hand of and signed by Pastor John Stanley and seven men of the church. Then three more articles were added later between the years 1719 and 1748, Differences in the church necessitated the three additional areas of clarity. I'll read each of the 14 and have a short comment. 1. We do declare to stand to our primitive way of the constitution of this church, to receive in our members by repentance, faith, baptism, and a holy life. Clearly, the church was convinced from the scriptures that a New Testament church was meant to consist of regenerate members, at least as far as it could be known. Two, that all those members so received in shall sit down in communion with us at the table of the Lord in breaking of bread and drinking of the cup. Membership clearly gave the privilege of the Lord's Supper. But did you notice the form of the verb describing this? It was not merely a privilege, it was also a duty. Three, that no officer or member or members shall assume to themselves any such power to hinder any baptized member from communion with this congregation for want of his or their coming under laying on of hands. Now, differences about the long-debated subject of the laying on of hands was decided by this church not to be the basis to disbar anyone from joining in membership. Many general Baptists and some particular Baptists of the day thought that it was a church ordinance for new members to have hands laid on them. Benjamin Keach, born just south of this area before moving to London, believed this, for example. Four. As our congregation from the first hath been independent without depending upon any other people, so we do resolve not to enter into any combination with any congregation in the government of ourselves, 
but shall be governed by our own officers, which we shall choose ourselves. They committed themselves to the independence of the local church. They approved of having someone over them in the Lord who governed them, but that man or those men were of their own choosing. Fifth, we will never part with our power of the church in the electing of officers, but do affirm and own that at the removal of any officer in the church, the power revolves into the hands of the church for them to choose or elect again. They refuse to give up this God-given right to the church of selecting their own pastors and deacons. Six, the officers which we own are, or ought to be, standing in the church, are such only that go under the denomination, that is the name, of bishops or elders and deacons. So they believed in only two biblical church offices, that of elder, the most common word they used, although they did occasionally say pastor or bishop, and the second office of deacon. Seven, we own and allow that these aforesaid officers, after they are elected by the church, ought to be ordained by fasting, prayer, and laying on of hands to officiate in their office. Those elected were put into office by the biblical pattern, as they understood it, of voting, fasting and prayer, and then the laying on of hands. Eight, we do not look upon laying on of hands upon a baptized brother as such to be any qualification to fit him for any office in the church of God. Neither do we look upon the not coming under laying on of hands of baptized brethren as such to be any bar or hinder any brother from being made an officer in the church if qualified thereunto otherwise. Again, any differences in understanding about the laying on of hands was not a bar to office, not to membership, not to office, and as we will read in the next paragraph, not in coming to the Lord's table. It's quite obvious that uh, this was a much debated uh, point of doctrine and practice in the area at the beginning of the church. Number nine, we do not allow and hate that profession and opinion that makes the not coming under laying on of hands to be a bar to hinder such from communion at the Lord's table. 10. We own and allow our dear and well-beloved brother John Stanley to be our standing elder in this congregation, and we resolve he shall so continue during his life if he continue faithful and not remove from hence. 11. That what teaching or ruling elder soever is by this congregation made choice of to preach in the absence of our aforesaid brother John Stanley, the friend or aforesaid elder shall have no power in the discipline of this church without the direction or assistance of our brother John Stanley. Pastor Stanley's absence, in other words, couldn't be used as an opportunity for a fill-in to exercise discipline in the church. It sounds like there may be the voice of experience speaking here. We now come to the three later added articles. Number 12. If there shall fall out to be any difference or disagreement among any of our officers or members, 
In our congregation, we look upon it our duty to compose those differences in that congregation where the difference arises. But if it cannot be composed and made up by that congregation, then we do allow of them that are at difference to make both of them choice of others to put an end to the difference, provided those members are of the same faith and constitution of our churches that can sit down with us at the Lord's table. Now, this is interesting because it shows several things. First, reconciling differences was very important to them. Secondly, it ought to be done within the church or churches involved, but if that didn't work, they could apply to other like-minded churches for help in this vital matter. And thirdly, it's obvious that they accepted members of other like-minded churches to occasional communion with them, but not those of a different communion. Thirteen. We will not part with any member or members of our congregation that have given themselves up unto us to sit under our elder without the consent of that church that they belong to. So they weren't interested in being sheep stealers. They respected the membership of other churches, and they wanted their own membership to likewise be respected. 14. That if any member of our congregation be under the guilt of any crime that is offensive to any of the church... We think it our duty that those who are spiritual should labor to restore him with the spirit of meekness, and not to tell his fault to any member of our congregation, nor to any other member, before they have used all the ways and means allowed to redress him. A member's sin was not an excuse for gossip, but the biblical means for forgiveness and restoration had to be used. Well, these were biblical, spiritual, and very practical articles, and they go a long way to explaining the means that Christ used to keep this small body faithful to him for well over 200 years. Thank you for listening today. This is Ron the Baptist wishing you grace and peace. Mm-hmm.